You know, we were thinking this week, we're like, how could we make that trans- transition as rough as possible? <laughs> we succeeded. <laughs> it's totally my bad, so sorry about that. Third through fifth graders can go. I'm Matt. I'm the pastor, the lead pastor here. We're in Habakkuk, so if you want to start trying to find that book, you might want to start now. But uh, I, got a, I got a text one evening, and it was from someone in our church, and one of their parents, just out of nowhere, was on their deathbed. So I go to the hospital, and they're in ICU, and I talked with them, listened, prayed, cried with them, and uh, their parent passed away that, that evening. The next Sunday, they showed up at church, which is really significant, okay? When you have something terrible happen in your life, it's hard to be around groups of people and show up to something like this, right? When life is difficult, it can be very difficult because you, you, you often just want to isolate. But they showed up at church. That, that's significant in and of itself, but it didn't stop there. Okay, I saw this person come in here, and they were devastated. Like, this wasn't easy for them. They were close with this parent. They, I saw them walk in here and sing what we just sang. Yes, I will. Lift you high when my heart is heavy for all my days. Yes, I will. I will bless your name. Even in the lowest valley with their hands raised, with tears streaming down their cheeks. How do you do something like that? But to add to it, I had lunch with them a couple weeks later. And I'm like, hey, how are you doing? Processing this? What's going on? And they're like, they were finding hope in this situation. They're finding hope because, because their family members, their other family members were starting to turn to Christ. Starting to draw near to God because of the death of their parent. Sorrowful, yet rejoicing. How? Joy is a choice. Joy is a choice. Habakkuk chooses joy at the end of Habakkuk. Paul chooses joy. We must choose joy. It is a choice. So let's look at Habakkuk 3. We'll be in 17 through 19 today. Habakkuk 3, 17. It'll be in the English Standard Version. ESV. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit trees be on the vines. Excuse me. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with the stringed instruments. You know, if you, if you look back at chapter 1... Verse 6, God is saying to to Habakkuk, hey, behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. See, God had told Habakkuk, hey, I'm going to bring justice. There's corruption in God's people, in Judah. And God is like, I'm going to take care of that with the Babylonians. And Habakkuk is now rehearsing the worst possible circumstance list. It's likely that these circumstances have not happened yet. 
His nation has not been overtaken by the Babylonians. And he's just waiting for it to happen. So he's running through this, this list in his head. This what if list. And he's going, even if the, the fig tree should not blossom. Now, I don't know about you. All I think about is fig newtons when I read that. Um, and I love some fig newtons. Anyone with me? Okay, just the original. The, all the other flavors I don't really care for. But the original fig newtons. Okay, but that's not what we're talking about. It's not, it's not it. So he's talking about figs. So they were, it was a, the most common and abundant fruit. They would make cakes out of it. They would just, they would just pick them off uh, the tree. But it, it was, it's kind of like um, some of the most common fruits you have around your household. Think like apples, bananas, um, oranges, avocado if you're a hipster. I don't even know if that's a fruit. But um, I'm not judging. I like avocado. But you just think of like the most common fruit you have around is just gone. Okay? No apple trees out there anymore. They don't, have any, they don't have any apples or bananas, whatever your favorite one, at the grocery store. It's just gone. Gone from the face of the planet. And that would be bad. That would be bad, but you would survive, right? But he doesn't stop there. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. And he's talking about grapes, clearly fruit on the vines. Grapes weren't just grapes. It's like, oh, grapes are gone too. No, it's that their main drink was gone. Wine. They didn't have the Culligan man, believe it or not. So water was not often very sanitary. And to make it sanitary, sanitary was quite the process. So wine was the main drink. So imagine that every household in Boone was just given a gallon a day of water for the whole home. Okay? You're talking, you're talking uh, a shortage of your main drink right here. Nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail. Olives were used for, for fuel for their lamps. It was used for anointing oil, for, for dressing wounds, medical usage. So, so think like if like all the pharmacies shut down and we had no access to medication. Wouldn't be good. And it says if the fields yield no food, well, what would happen in this um, agrarian culture? The livestock would starve and people then would soon starve because they, they don't have the crops to eat, but they also now don't have the cows to eat. No burgers this week. Sorry, guys. And, but for us, it's not, it's not that different living in Iowa, actually. So just think of like all the farmers' corn, corn and soybeans just were completely destroyed. Like no yields this fall. That would affect all of us. It would affect our whole economy. And then lastly, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Their flocks, their herds were their livelihood. This was their net worth. Their crops were one thing, but even more, their livestock. It'd be, for us, like if the market just completely crashed and everyone lost their jobs. I don't know how that would happen exactly, but let's just pretend, right? Everyone just loses their jobs. And the market crashes. So Habakkuk is essentially saying, hey, even if I'm starving, jobless, broke, have no medical access, everything's just stripped from me. If all of that happened, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I mean, but, but think about it. If he stopped at the end of verse 17, it would be a what-if list. Right? We do the what-if list often. And it's where we stop. What if? What if my 401k comes crashing down? 
What if that money or that job that I'm banking on does not come through? What if I get cancer? What if my kids destroy their lives and live recklessly? What if my significant other becomes cold and distant? What if, what if, what if, and we love to live there? It's usually what we do when something bad is about to happen or we think something bad is about to happen. What if? What if? But Habakkuk's list here is not a what if list. It doesn't end at the end of verse 17. That sentence continues into verse 18. Yet, it's an even if list. Huge difference. Huge difference, right? What if? I'm full of worry. I'm full of anxiety. I'm full of fear. Even if is, I'm full of hope. I'm full of joy. I'm full of confidence. Not in my circumstances, but in God. Even if people criticize me for the way I perform. Even if those people continue to be a pain in my butt. Even if my friends move away or worse, start ignoring me. Even if all my hopes and dreams at work come crashing down. Even if my mom, my dad, or even one of my kids passes away. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. That's what Habakkuk is saying. And that's where we need to live. Not in the what if, but even if. I'm going to choose joy in God. So what's joy? Joy, just the word joy, means satisfaction and delight. It's an emotion. Satisfaction and delight. I enjoyed that cheesy gordita crunch at Taco Bell the other day. Actually, I enjoyed two of them. No shame. We enjoy things all the time, right? We find, it's anything that you find, you're finding delight in, satisfaction in. We do this all the time with all sorts of things. You can find joy in, in, in a lot of things. But true joy or biblical joy, we're going to define as this. And this will carry over into our next series in Philippians, which is all about joy. Which is, which is really cool, by the way. God kind of just weaned that together. The, the, the Holy Spirit just weaved this together. So we chose to do Habakkuk months ago, and then Philippians, not that long ago, and we didn't even realize, oh yeah, Habakkuk ends with joy, and then Philippians is all about joy. So it's kind of cool. God, God knows what he's doing, turns out. Um, but true biblical joy, here's what it is. Satisfaction and delight in God, independent of circumstances. Satisfaction and delight in God, independent of circumstances. It's still an emotion. Okay, Um, I know some people make a differentiation between happiness and joy. That certainly is true if you're talking about how the world defines joy or happiness. But the Bible actually uses those words interchangeably. Happy, joyful, happy is the man. It's, It's all over. And it certainly can be experienced. You can experience this emotion of joy simultaneously while experiencing anger or anxiety, or confusion, or just being down. Because at your core, at your heart of hearts, you're saying, it is well with my soul. You're not just saying it, you're believing it. It is an emotion. You can, we actually understand this better than you might think. If you're like, well, how do you experience two kind of polarizing emotions at the same time? You guys actually get this. We have bittersweet experiences all the time. So think, think about Shane Kelderman, our, our former youth and worship guy, when he left this summer. Okay, at, our, at Shane's going away party, it was bittersweet. It was bitter because Shane was leaving. But it was sweet because 
because Shane was going off to Madison, Wisconsin to do God's work. And so we were excited for him, right? It's, it's bitter, but it's sweet. Saying goodbye to a loved one, someone who's on their deathbed. It's terrible for us because we're having to say goodbye. They're not going to be around anymore here on earth. But it's so good for those who are believers in Jesus Christ because we know all the tears are going to be gone. All the pain's going to be gone. They're about to be with Jesus in heaven forever. It's bittersweet. So it's an emotion. But the object or the source of our satisfaction and delight is God. Everything, everyone else is changing, unfaithful. They, they bring us momentary delight. But God is unchanging, faithful, and the delight of delights. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God has to be the object. And the recipe or the environment for this satisfaction and delight or joy is independent of circumstances. It's not circumstantial. No matter what is going on around me, no matter what is going on, what, what is being done to me, no matter what is even going on inside of me, it's this feeling of satisfaction that cannot be taken away. It's, it's, it's what Habakkuk is saying in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. It's a choice not to look around at circumstances, but to look at him. Pastor Crawford Loritz says this, joy is in response to that which cannot be taken from you. So, two ways in this passage that Habakkuk chooses joy. First, he chooses joy in God's sovereignty. He chooses joy in God's sovereignty. Verse 19 says, God the Lord is my strength. A few other translations say, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Sovereign means powerful, in control. He has a plan. And that's what Habakkuk is saying here. God is God. I am not. He has the plan. I don't have the plan. And it brings him a lot of relief and joy. Because Habakkuk's starting to enjoy the ride, even though it's difficult. He's starting to enjoy the ride of life. Paul is like that. We'll see this in Philippians. He writes that book from jail. He's like, he's like I'm in jail. All right, now God, what are you up to? Right? It's this excited intrigue. Okay? It's not like, oh, God, I'm, I'm in jail now. What are you going to do now? Seriously? God? No, it's like, oh, man, what are you going to do now? Because I know you can, do, you can do anything in and through me even while I'm here in prison. And he did. He enjoyed watching God work. So I think of it like this. Finding joy in God's sovereignty or choosing joy in God's sovereignty um, imagine you're on vacation and your transmission goes out in your vehicle. So you find some random mechanic and ask them to fix it. And of course, you're going to be worried and afraid because you don't know them. You don't trust them. You don't know how much they're going to charge you. But imagine your dad is like my dad and he's a mechanic. And he, he's like, yeah, I'll come right away and just shows up and fixes your transmission. I wouldn't give a second thought to that. Why? Because he's my dad. He's got a 
flawless track record with fixing cars as far as I know, because I don't really know anything about fixing cars. So I, I think he has a flawless track record. Probably not, but it seems like it. But it brings a lot of relief, and even I, I even would even enjoy helping him fix it, even though that would just mean bringing him a cup of water or handing him a, a wrench every once in a while or something like that, because I can't fix anything. But but he can, right? I mean, there'd be a lot of relief and 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 joy actually in that versus if it was this random mechanic. How much more can we trust our faithful God who made us, who's weaved all the circumstances in our life and in in all of past history. He's weaved together for his glory and for our good. How much more can we trust him and his sovereignty? See, we have a choice daily. We have a choice several times a day to either live in reality. Reality is that God is in control and we can find joy and relief in his sovereignty. Or we can live in a make, made up pretend world and act like we have control. And in so, do, in so doing, choose fear and worry. Like Habakkuk, we need to choose to say, Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. He knows exactly what he's doing, and I trust him. Secondly, he chooses joy in God's salvation. End of verse 18, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk is choosing joy in what God just promised him. In the rest of this book. So in chapter 1, basically, Habakkuk's corrupt nation, Judah, is, being, is going to be judged by God through these Babylonians. But in chapter 2, the Babylonians are going to be judged by God as well. And he's, he's choosing joy right here by going, you know what? God is going to save me. He's going to save all the righteous from all of this corruption that's happening and will happen. But it's deeper than that for Habakkuk. It doesn't just stop with his circumstances that he know, knows are about to come. He, he's convinced that God is going to save him from all evil and all wrong. Somehow, some way, I'm going to do what God told me in chapter 2, verse 4, and live by faith. But if Habakkuk chooses joy in God's salvation before it even happened, how much easier should it be for us to choose joy in the finished work of Christ? Amen? Hebrews 12.2 We should be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, every day you have a choice to choose joy in your salvation. Not just the first day or the first week or the first month that you believe in Jesus. Not just around Easter. Not just when we take communion and focus on Jesus' sacrifice and his resurrection. No. All the time we desperately need the gospel. Every day, several times a day if we have any chance of experiencing and living in this true joy in this life. You choose joy in God's salvation. Now, notice for a second Habakkuk's transformation. Chapter 1, Habakkuk was pretty problem-centered and circumstance-focused. He had questions, doubts, fears, and frustrations. 
he knew that God was sovereign and that God would save, but, but he's full of, of, of doubt and questions and fear. But by chapter 3, he's God-centered and God-focused, and he's full of joy and trust and peace and hope. Why? Here's why. He went from knowing that God was in control and that God would save to being convinced that God was in control and that God would save. And there's a huge difference. He went from knowledge to a a rock-solid belief. And that happened by rehearsing what is true and by choosing joy. But how do you do it? How do you choose joy in God even if the worst thing possible happens? This didn't just happen. Habakkuk didn't just get here overnight. No, he, he didn't tell himself, you know, put on a happy face, right? Cheesy smile, thumbs up, turn that frown upside down, be positive. Okay, that's, that's not what happened. That's, that's not how he chose joy. He chose joy even if all of these things happen in God's strength. 19, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He chose joy in God's strength in two ways. First, just to stand. He chose God's strength to stand. Not, not his own strength, not Habakkuk's strength, but God's strength only. That's how you choose joy. It was less about choosing joy and it was actually more just about choosing help. Choosing to just say, help. Like today, I, I don't... I don't even know how I could get to the point of being joyful because I know what's coming, God. So you're going to have to do it. There's no way that I'm going to feel joy today without you. I am unable to even steer my attention to your sovereignty and to your salvation, much less believe it to the point of joy. So help strengthen me, God. It's your strength, not mine. I love this song by Shane and Shane, called Faith to Believe. It it says it in the title, but some of the lyrics go, Give me the faith to believe you when I'm stuck here in my fear. Give me the strength to trust you when my vision's blurred by tears. Give me a hope for tomorrow, because the day has gone so wrong. I'm on my knees. Give me the faith to believe. He's saying, give me faith to even have faith. You with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? Give me strength to turn to you for strength so that I can choose joy. God doesn't just go, hey, choose joy. You better do it. No, he goes, I will give you strength to choose joy. I will give you the faith to even believe so that you can have joy. You with me? We've all experienced that. Just give me the strength to stand in joy. Give me the strength to choose joy. Even, even when tears are rolling down my cheeks, to choose joy in you, God. But you're going to have to strengthen me to do that, to show up at church today, to do this or that thing, to put myself in a position to praise and worship. He also chooses God's strength by choosing strength, not just to stand, but to tread. I'm not talking about treading water either. So it says, God, the Lord is my strength. Verse 19, he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. 
He's not just standing. He's moving. He's doing something. This deer is, is climbing all over the mountains. And this isn't Bambi, okay? Get the white tails out of your head. Hunters, I know. Hunting season's coming up. Get that out of your head for a second. Not talking about them. We're talking about something more like the alpine ibex. Okay? If you don't know what that is, got a video for you. Check it out. Alpine Ibex. Something like that is what Habakkuk is talking about here. So they have this, this cloved hoof or the, these split hooves. And they, they have this hard exterior which, which gives them um, resistance from hard impact. But they have like this soft interior of each hoof so that they can hang on and give them a softer landing. And they could just use, as, as you saw there, they could just use one hoof to stand on or... They could, they could actually split them to, to, to like grab on to the rock even as they're climbing it. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing and fascinating. But it's more like that. That's what he's talking about. Give me strength to choose joy, not just to survive, but to actively thrive, even through the rough terrain of life. So how do we do this? How can we have our feet like the alpine ibex as we walk through life. There's lots of ways. I'll just propose three simple ways. Choose joy by choosing celebration. Choosing celebration. What's that? Celebrating God. That's what we're doing here this morning. We're worshiping God. And so it's saying, God, give me the strength just to go to church today. Give me the strength to praise you. Give me the strength to choose joy. Like, like that person I was talking about at the beginning. Give, give me the strength to do that. To not just show up, but to worship wholeheartedly. To celebrate God. Not just on Sunday though, but every day of the week. But especially Sunday. We need each other. We need to praise God. That is, that is the main reason we're gathering here this morning. Is to worship God. To make much of Him. This song, Rejoice, by Dustin Kensrew. He says, rejoice. When you cry to him, he hears your voice. He will wipe away your tears. Rejoice in the midst of suffering. He will help you sing. See, it's not just like, I'm going to have my feet like the deer today. No, like it's God, you have to just change these feet because I, I don't even want to step foot into that church today. No, God, change these feet so that I, I don't just walk in there and stand, but I go for it and I worship and I love on some people around me. And I pray for some people around me and I, I'm all in here today because I want to make much of you because this isn't about me. Life is terrible right now, but it's not about me, God. It's about you. So I'm choosing joy in you, God, because you are the source of joy and you are my everything. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Even in the midst of suffering, choosing to celebrate. Secondly, choose joy by choosing connection. This is tangible joy in the flesh. 
through encouragement, through laughter, through prayer, with just with other believers. You know, you're depriving yourself of God's joy when you isolate from other people. So maybe what you need this week to make your feet like alpine ibex is to say, God, strengthen me just to text that person to go out to coffee. God, strengthen me just to, just to even sign up for a connection group. Because every week we have at the bottom of your bulletin a little, a little tear-off thing. You can, you can fill that out, drop it in the offering box, or just hand it to me. And we'd love to get you in a connection group. Maybe you've wanted to do that, and you just haven't. Because you've been scared. What will people think of me? All these what-ifs, what-ifs, what-ifs. God is calling you to live in the even-if this morning. You know what I'm saying? Even if it doesn't go that great, at least I know that I, I'm not being alone in this. And I know that it, it is for my good and will produce joy. God strengthened me to even go to connection group. I'm already in one. I just don't feel like it this week because life is hard. That's when you need to be there the most. Do you know that? God strengthened me to open up at connection groups. One thing to show up, right? But help, help me to actually open up. Or maybe not even a connection group. Just with other believers. Help me to just open up to somebody. I challenge you this week. Just for fun. Maybe, maybe over lunch today. I don't know. Just list the top three most joy-filled times of your life. Like, you just go, these, these were just... I enjoyed the, these three moments of my life the most. And I would be surprised if not all of them were with other people. Why? Because it is true that it is not good for us to be alone. Choose joy by choosing connection. Thirdly, choose joy by choosing contributing. This one seems kind of um, maybe, maybe a little counterintuitive. But Psalm 126, 4 through 6 says this. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Psalmist starts out, God, restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. And the Negev is a desert. Life is really hard for him right now. He's going through some suffering, God. So he's like, God, I need you. I need you to bring some joy into my life. But here's how it's going to happen. Those who sow in tears, I'm going to sow. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep on working. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy. See, what we need to do is not isolate, but, but it's more than that. It's more than just showing up to a group or, or talking with someone about what's going on in our lives. We need, we need to get out of ourselves and our circumstances and serve other people and love on other people. We need to choose to serve the church and other people, especially when you don't feel like it, especially when life is hard. Did you know that almost always? Those times when I don't feel like doing things in ministry, like even just to be frank with you, there are some Sundays I don't feel like showing up on Sunday morning. There are some days I don't feel like meeting with some people. God is just, I I don't, I don't want to do it. But when I show up, that's when God usually does the most incredible things. And here's why. Because in my weakness, he's strong. 
in your lowest valley is probably when you need to be serving other people the most. And in so doing, it will actually produce so much joy within you. I mean, think about it. Those times where I just I showed up to, to serve in whatever way, to, 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 to come to church, to worship, to, to be with D6 and the kids, whatever. I'm showing up. I'm, I'm serving. When I show up, and then I walk away and go, man, I really wish I wouldn't have done that. No, it's never happened. It's never happened to me. When I haven't felt like it and I've, chose, I've chosen to serve, that is when God has actually just infused in me so much joy because I got to watch Him work. It wasn't about me anymore. Choose joy by choosing to celebrate God. Connect with His people and celebrate or and contribute to His work. Those are the three C's. That is the DNA of our church. It's up on those pallets on the wall out there. They're not just up there for a reason. They're not the DNA just to say, here's what we're all about. No, those are the pathways that God has given us to find joy. So though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, And there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Let's pray.